I'm waiting. Are we there? All right, we're going to get going. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Wives, or I'm sorry, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And if you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We are glad that you're here today. And uh, I tell you what, with that text being read, there might as well have been a fuse lit. You know what I mean? Um, today is going to be very interesting, but we are in our series entitled New Year, New Family. And we primarily just sort of teach through books of the Bible here, line by line, verse by verse. But every once in a while, we'll stop and we will look at a topic and then go through the scriptures to see what the scriptures say about that topic. And we have spent quite a bit of time looking at what the Bible talks about when it talks about a family or a home. And we even looked at that acronym of a house, just like with the kids' side kids. And so we really spent a lot of time um, understanding what the goal of the series was. And the goal of the series is simply this, to break down the old foundations and build up new foundations for your family. We said that every family is building on a certain foundation. Some of us have been handed foundations, and more than likely, those were faulty foundations from our family of origin. And, and our theme was Joshua 24, 15, where Joshua says, you need to choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so we talked about the foundation of it, um, the enemy of the family. And last week, we talked about marriage. And, and we did a little bit of a different approach. We said that um, information is good, good information is really good, but it's really about the season of life that you are in and to apply that information per the season that you're in. And so we looked at the seasons of marriage found in Genesis 3, face-to-face, -face, meaning intimacy, side-by-side, -side, being co-laborers, back-to-back defenders or toe-to-toe fighting. And we said that in those seasons, it requires certain roles, and those roles have certain outcomes, and those outcomes have certain obstacles. And so you can go to our website and catch up on that. That was a very practical message per the season of life that you are in. And today, we are now getting a little bit deeper as we look at marriage. Now we're going to get into the specific roles that the scriptures teach when it comes to this idea of marriage. And so in Genesis 2.24, it says, God's definition of marriage is, Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and his father, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The goal of marriage is oneness, that one man and one woman would become one flesh in one lifetime. 
And, and that's the idea and um, the creation that God has created. But what's interesting about that is in order for two to become one, there has to be certain roles in the way in which that is handled. And, and before we dive into the topic today, um, I want to read an official statement that the board has sort of put together. And, and here's the reason why. Anytime that we stand in a moment like this where we have a passage of Scripture that so contradicts the way of the world, there are so many questions and there are so many discussions that need to take place. And oftentimes, let me be the first to say, oftentimes throughout history, the church as a whole has done a very poor job at having that conversation. And primarily when it comes to women and their dignity and their value, there has been a lot of heartache and dare I say there has even been trauma that has taken place. And so I want to read this as a collective to sort of set us up as to where we're going. The lack of equality between women and men throughout the centuries has caused women to feel degraded, devalued, and even defrauded. Unfortunately, the Bible has been blamed for this because it calls for women to be, quote, submissive, reverent, and quiet. We say oftentimes at Westside, the Bible wasn't written to you, but it is written for you. And what that means is those scripture references that are often debated and challenged are written by certain people to certain people living in certain places and certain times. This requires a careful and patient study of the scriptures to unpack what they are saying. However, in the context of the greater story of God's purpose, women are not only liberated, but highly valued. We believe the Bible teaches that men and women are equal in value, but distinct and different in their roles when it comes to God's design for marriage. No one, let me repeat, no one gives more prominence to women than Jesus. The first person to name God in the Bible is a woman. The only people that are with Jesus at the cross are women. The first people who witness the resurrection and actually go and tell others are women. The church in Rome started in a woman's house. Nobody in all of the religions in the world give more prominence and value to women than Jesus. So we at Westside honor and champion all women, especially our sisters in Christ, the West Side Board of Directors. Can we give it up for that? I think that is a good place to start as to where we are going today. And so when we look at this idea of marriage, and when I started to dive in and study this passage this week, I had a crazy idea. I had a crazy idea, and it was this. I'm going to be studying and teaching about a woman's role in marriage. Maybe I should talk to some women. 
right? That's a crazy concept. And so I did an official Facebook poll and asked um, this question via social media. Women only, ladies, when the scriptures use the word submission in the role of wives, why is that so offensive or seen as a stumbling block? And, I mean, it's well over 80 comments now. And these women just had a fantastic dialogue and conversation about perspective and experience and what this looks like. And if I were to sort of um, generalize and summarize the statements, they sort of kept falling under three sort of categories. Um, The first one is this, that submission is seen as dangerous. And there was one young lady who, it was such a great insight. She said, when it comes to like mixed martial arts or UFC, um, you can actually beat your opponent by what's known as submission, which is, you know, getting a hold of their foot or their leg and almost snapping it in half until the person taps and then you've won. And so really submission and the way that you quote unquote get someone to submit is through pain. And I I had never made that connection and I thought, goodness gracious, of course, when you hear that in an initial knee-jerk reaction would to be that something like that is, is very dangerous. And then on top of life experience and past traumas, to be told to do that would bring up all sorts of anxiety and fear. Dangerous. The second one was this, demeaning. Um, that it's seen as that women are less than men when they are told this. And we'll get into the passage. Um, What's funny is our culture is so far removed from the scriptures that every time that women are mentioned and a specific role is taught, it's actually the exact opposite when you understand the context, that women are not being devalued or demeaned. They are actually being valued and lifted up. And the third one primarily, and this one was probably my favorite because it was the most honest, it's just difficult, right? Um, I mean, when the Bible comes to and says about the roles of marriage and this, that, and the other, this is hard. And yes and amen. And I love that level of honesty because what that level of honesty says is this. Um, I love the Bible. I love God's word. And man... There are parts in my heart and in my mind that I do not want to subject myself to those things. And, you know, oftentimes Christians and especially evangelicals are known for being, you know, Bible thumpers and we love the Bible. And here at Westside, we believe that we're a Bible church, that we love the scriptures, that God wrote a book. But listen to me, it is very easy to say those things, but then on a day like today, when push comes to shove and it's time to walk that road, this becomes difficult. And we have a choice now. Now we have a choice that that we can view the scriptures as maybe our equal, and we can say, well, you know, we can interpret, and there's the different meaning, and what I think, and those types of things. Or we can do what C.S. Lewis said, which is chronological snobbery, which means to look back and say, man, that book is so outdated, that's ancient, that culture, all of that is so different. Or 
we can lovingly submit ourselves to what God's word has said, and it's okay to have questions. And, and, and here's what I'm not for. I'm not for somebody hearing verses like that that are read and then just referencing a TikTok video or a five-minute YouTube clip or a Facebook status or a little bitty blog article and say, well, I just don't believe that. One of the things we say at Westside is this, big questions require big work. So you can't just say, I don't agree with that, I reject that. You have to have a knowledgeable answer as to why and then provide a better way. And when it comes to this, I believe that that's what the world does. The world primarily tears down the scriptures, but then doesn't offer a better way. And, and can I just submit to us, can I just sort of lay before us, um, I believe that primarily the world's view of marriage and the way that that should be handled is deeply, deeply flawed, deeply flawed. And so what if, what if we actually tried what the scripture said? It's okay to have questions, but to try what the scripture said. I'm reminded of what the early church father, St. Augustine said, and he said these words. He said, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel that you believe, but it is yourself. You see, we have to pull from a place of authority. And this is what the entire series is about, breaking down those old foundations and building up new foundations. And so when it comes to the role of marriage, and especially the role of wives in marriage, this word submission is the key teaching in the scriptures. Um, here, here's some scriptures for you. Colossians 3.18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Titus chapter 2 verses 4 and 5, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And then Ephesians chapter 5, one of the most central teachings, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their own husbands. So here's what we have to do. Um, my job's really hard today, and you're probably like, this is going to be fun. Let's watch this, okay? Right? So, but here's what I have to do. I have to spend a lot of time clarifying what submission is not before we even get into what submission is and how we can handle the text, okay? So the first thing is this. Submission is not, submission is not inferiority, okay? That was one of the main things that when you say that word or the Bible's teaching, it views it that women are less than men, but the reality is, is you need to understand the context of what Peter, Paul, and Mary... No, that's a different man. What, what the Bible's teaching even is on this. In the ancient culture, um, women weren't even allowed to give a testimony in the court of opinion. And so the very fact 
that Peter or Paul or Jesus or anyone in that culture references the woman's role in marriage was massively countercultural. And one of the greatest arguments for the proof of the resurrection is the fact that women were the first eyewitnesses. So listen, if you were making up a religion and you were making up the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, you would not, if this was a fairy tale, say that a group of women were the first ones to witness the resurrection because their word wasn't even valued in court. And one of the things that made Christianity spread so fast under the Roman rule and reign was its value and championing of women. So the fact that Peter even addresses wives is massively countercultural and the antithesis of them being inferior. And when we go back to the creation account, that he made them male and female, that Adam uh, had a deep sleep and God made Eve from his side. And we said this last week that the word for the creation of man is like hammer and nails. It's like a workshop word. But when it comes to the creation of the woman, it literally means fashioned. It literally means made with God's hands. That's how valuable. And I love what Matthew Henry says. The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Here's the sentence that we say at Westside. Men and women are equal in value, but they are different and distinct in their roles in marriage. This is what's beautiful about marriage. God created man and woman in his image and likeness. And our God is the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is a diversity that is a unity. And that reflection is seen in the beautiful dance in marriage. And, and the way that I've always illustrated this to show equal in value but distinct in roles, for example, um, let's say that your marriage is an automobile. And in order for your automobile to move forward, you need two distinct features. You need a gas pedal and a brake pedal, right? They are both very different in their roles, but in order for that automobile or your marriage to move forward, you need a gas pedal and a brake pedal. Now, which one's more important? All of the uh, Fast Five Furious fans say the gas pedal, right? Right? They're, they're both equal in value. You need both in order to operate that. The same is true when it comes to marriage and the role. So submission is not inferiority. The second thing is this. Submission is not absolute. Please listen to me on this. Every time the Bible mentions, it's even in our passage, when it says wives, it says be subject or submit to your own husband. To your own husband. It is speaking to a man and woman in the covenant 
of marriage. I'm going to try to be as crystal clear as I can with this sentence. All men are not in authority over all women. All men are not in authority over all women. That is not what the Bible teaches. So if that is one of your main arguments, you have a massive misunderstanding of what the scriptures teach, okay? So submission is not inferiority. It is not absolute. It is not saying that all women must submit to all men. And then the third thing is this. Submission is not enabling. We say this all the time at Westside. You can love somebody. You can be Christ-like to somebody. You can forgive somebody. And you can call the Popper Bluff Police Department on them jokers in a heartbeat. Okay? Here's what I'm saying. And I'm dead serious when I say this. If you are in a relationship and you are not emotionally, spiritually, or physically safe, get out. That's what I'm saying. I am saying you need to seek help. That's what I'm saying. And I believe that the church is structured in such a way that when the roles and authority in the home fail, that's when the church steps in and helps out. And this church believes that. We have spent thousands of dollars and spent dozen, and sent dozens of couples to marriage intensives. We have pr- uh, paid for U-Haul trucks and moved a woman and her children out of an abusive home. Listen, we believe these things. And what submission is not is that you are married to an unbelieving man who wants to lead you into sin. You are not to submit to that. We do not submit to sin. So it is not stopping at the gas station and picking up a 12-pack for your alcoholic husband so he can black out before dinner. You do not do that. You do not bring pornography into the bedroom. You do not do that. Submission is not enabling sin. That is not what any of those things are. So what is submission? What is it? I think there's three key things in the text. I think we see that submission is permission, a proclamation, and a reflection. So the first thing is this. Submission is permission to lead. Submission is permission to lead. This comes from the literal word that's used there in verse 1. Some of your translations will say, likewise, wives, either submit or be subject to your own husbands. The word submit or subject um, is used all through the scripture, and it's the same word. This is what it looks like. It's hupatasso for the two of you that care, okay? So you can turn to your neighbor and say, hupatasso, right? Just kind of like you sneeze, like hupatasso, right? Um, What hupatasso is, is it's a military term that means to order or arrange, And so just in the very teaching of the word, here's what's so important, okay? Big questions require big work. So we're really going to study the Bible. We're really going to actually look at the original language and see what this has to say. The tense that this word is written in, 
That's why our English language is one of the most difficult actually to learn. The Greek language is beautiful. And it has a tense that the words are written in or used in a group of other words. Here's what I mean to put the jelly on the bottom shelf. This word is written in a passive tense, meaning that the term itself is voluntary, that it's granted. It is not a forced to order, but rather it is a voluntary permission for your spouse to lead. Now, we're going to get into the role of husbands and stuff later on. Next week, I've actually rearranged the order. I'm going to talk to the singles close to Valentine's Day so you guys don't go out and do something stupid on Valentine's Day, okay? All right? So I'm going to rearrange that. Guys, we're going to get to you, and I would be very careful about amening today in certain spots, okay? All right? But first and foremost, out of the gate, what the word simply means is permission. Now, I know what's kind of brewing. When you grant permission, that also means that you are releasing something else. And that something else is control. So, what if rather than viewing it as, I'm losing control, you view it as, I'm empowering my husband to lead. And here's what I'm saying. God can do more with your surrender than he can with your control. Because wives, please listen to me today. The opposite of faith is not doubt. Oh, no. You see, doubt actually desires to believe. It just doesn't have sufficient evidence. And so when it finds that evidence, then it believes. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is control. And so when it comes to the empowerment and permission to lead, that's what this means at the very base level of it. And by the way, I don't want to get caught in the weeds on some of this. I want to teach at a 30,000-foot view. But even when it comes to lead, I'm going to clarify this with the men. That doesn't mean that in the marriage that the man has to do um, all the money and all of this and all of that. Like, can I just say something? It's going to be the truest thing I've ever said, okay? Um, my wife, Courtney Jordan, is an all-around just better person than me, okay? Like, just all-around better at everything in life. And so even when it comes to finances, decisions, those type of things, I don't care about money, so I'm the guy that goes in the gas station, buys a cowboy hat, sweatshirt, and a slingshot, okay? Right? Like, I'm just, you know, I just do that. She is more gifted in those areas. And when she empowers me and comes alongside me, and helps me with those decisions, what happens is, is a beautiful dance that takes place. Where my weaknesses are, she strengthens me. But the responsibility and the burden of headship, we'll find out later, was not meant for the woman to carry. And so what she does is she enables and empowers me to be able to do that. Submission is permission to lead. The second thing that it is, is this. Submission is proclamation of the gospel. Because I know kind of the argument that happens. 
If submission is permission to lead, then the initial argument is, well, what if my husband's not a believer? Or what if I don't trust his leadership? Then, then what am I supposed to do? And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's like Peter knew that that was going to be the question. Look at what he says there in verse 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word. Translation, they are not a believer. So the context, you got to understand the entire book of First and Second Peter. And of all people, ladies, you guys should know this. You walked through these books and studied this at Westside Women. Peter is talking about how to live in an unbelieving world. And the consequences of that are most of the time suffering or hardship. And so the context is Peter is writing to a group of probably middle-class Christians. And the reason why I say that is, is because he addresses makeup and jewelry in the passage. Well, you had to have some serious cash flow and get your Beyonce on back in the day to have makeup and jewelry, okay? So they're probably middle-class Christians who are primarily married to non-believing men. Why? Well, it's just what I told you. The reason why Christianity spread like wildfire is because it was the only religion and ideology that valued and championed women in the ancient day. So you had a mass number of women coming to Christ and then their unbelieving husbands falling in line after. And so he says, if they don't obey the word, here it is, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And then he says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair, and all of those things. Here's what Peter's addressing. He's addressing the two great faults that come in the roles of marriage. That's why if you drop down and look at verse 7... He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Why does he say that? Because there are two primary errors with men and women in marriage. For men, you will naturally drift and neglect your wife. And so it's the balance. It's I'm doing great at work, not doing great at home. Doing great at home, not doing great at work. And so the bend is always to provide for your family rather than to actually be there and nurture. And then when God speaks to Eve, he says your desire will be for your husband, but it will be for you to rule over him. So if it is for the man to neglect the wife. For the wife in marriage, the great error in temptation is to control in the marriage. And here's what Peter says. Do you know what will actually win that unbelieving man over? Is the way that you live your life. Here's what Peter's saying. Your life preaches the loudest gospel. And if we had time and I could pass a microphone in here today, we have marriages and we have couples who the wife was a Christian and a believer and her husband was not. And through living in community and praying for that spouse and living this way, we have baptized those men and those men are now following Jesus. This is a real thing. 
Um, maybe, maybe this will help. Um, many of you probably, if you're in the Christian world, um, know the name Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel um, was very famous for writing the book, The Case for Christ. The funny thing is, is that Lee was an investigative journalist, and he was an outspoken atheist. He was not a fan of Christianity and wrote about it often. But Lee converted to Christianity and put forth a very compelling argument in The Case for Christ. Over five million copies have been sold. This book has been instrumental in people who doubted, who were non-believers, who were peeking over the fence in Christianity, and then he lays out real evidence for the resurrection, the trustworthiness of the scriptures. This book is fantastic. But did you know that it had nothing to do with an intellectual argument that converted Lee Strobel? Nothing. It had everything to do with his wife. Allison and Lee were both non-believers when they got married. And he was working for a local newspaper, writing ads and getting paid like 15 cents a word. And they lived in this apartment complex. And in the apartment complex, there was an older, widowed Christian lady who would help Allison, and they would meet in the laundry room there and all types of things. And she just loved on Allison, invited her to Bible studies, church functions, this, that, and the other. And one day, she saw Allison very upset because her and Lee's marriage was barely hanging by a thread. And Allison broke down and shared everything with this lady, and this lady prayed with her and presented the gospel to Allison. And Allison surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. And then she said, what do I do? My husband hates Christians. He hates Christianity. What am I supposed to do? And she walked with her and championed her every day in what the scripture said. And when it comes to Lee Strobel's conversion, he says this. I was pleasantly surprised. I was even fascinated by the fundamental changes that happened in my wife and in her character, integrity, and in her personal confidence. Eventually, I wanted to get to the bottom of what was prompting these subtle but significant shifts in my wife's attitude. So I launched an all-out investigation into the facets surrounding the case for Christianity. And that's what produced the book, a case for Christ. Listen, the Bible has never been tried and found lacking. It has been tried and found difficult, therefore not tried again. But what I am telling you, ladies, is that placing your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ and living out in obedience is by far the most powerful thing that you could ever do in your life. It speaks volumes to your husband. I love what one commentator said. He said these words. Let the husband see the word as his wife lives it out in the context of their marriage. Here is the real test. Can the wife trust God to save her husband by her silence? 
You see, the, the life is what preaches the loudest gospel. And then when questions are asked, yes, they are answered. But fundamentally what Peter is saying is that when the spouse sees that change, that's what preaches the loudest. It's permission to lead. It's proclamation of the gospel. And then the last thing is this. Submission is a reflection of Jesus. Um, did you notice how our verses started today? Chapter 3, verse 1. It starts with this word, likewise. Well, that's pretty significant. That means that Peter has said some stuff, some verses before, so we should understand probably what he's saying. And 1 Peter chapter 2, the whole context of it is about submission, but it's about submission to governing authorities and then employers and employees. And so he's breaking all this stuff down. And by the way, Peter makes the argument to Christians and says, you need to submit to the ruling government. Do you know who the ruling government was? The government hated Christians. And Peter is saying that when you live this powerful way and trust your life unto God, this is what will preach the loudest. But then the motivation for it all. Listen, this is what separates religion from Christianity. What we never say here at Westside is you just obey for the sake of obeying. And then if you obey, then God will love you and everything will go well. That's not what we say. There is always a gospel motivation underneath it. It's about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. And what Peter says is this in verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And we have the scene. This is, there's the scene that Peter's talking about in Matthew 26. In the garden, Jesus is hours away from being crucified to a cross. And here's what Jesus says to the Father. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He submitted himself unto God the Father. And then verse 5 is the motivation. I leaned over when the text was read and said to my wife, this is so beautiful. Verse 5, for this is how the holy women, here, here's the phrase, ladies, this is the word for you. Underline this in your Bible. This is the big idea. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. One of the things that I noticed in the conversation on Facebook and having conversations about the roles, and hopefully we've clarified what submission isn't and what it is, but one of the key arguments and the pushback is simply this. If my husband led and did his responsibilities, then I would, and it would be so much easier to do blank. I'm not negating that, but here is what I'm saying. And because I believe this is what the scriptures are teaching. Holy women 
put their hope in God, not their husband. Ladies, the only perfect man is Christ Jesus. And you submit unto him first and foremost. So you need to do away with the lie and the illusion of, if my husband did this, then I would do this. That is a contract. That is not a covenant. And what Peter is teaching is that the holy women found their identity and their love in God first before they ever found it in any other man. So listen, here's what I want to do today in closing. I'm going to invite my wife to come up and pray for the women of Westside and to pray for marriages. So come on up here, babe. And then I want the women of Westside and some of the Westside leaders um, to come up here in the wings. And when you come forward for communion today, we're going to have these women available for you. And so if you are a lady in here, single, married, or whatever, and you want prayer for your marriage and for your role in marriage, we want to live out what Titus said. We want women encouraging other women in their roles. So after Courtney gets through praying, we'll invite you all to come forward. So pray for us, babe. God, we just thank you for these truths that you um, laid out in your word today. We thank you that submission is not bad. We pray that um, every woman in here, God, that we would just go against that um, control that's inside of us, that um, thing that makes us want to control over our husbands, God, and just help us to be what you made us to be, that helper. Help us to come alongside them gently, to help them, help us to follow them respectfully. And God, when that seems hard, when that seems unfair, when that seems like that is not my situation and that is not easy to do, God, just um, remind us that it is that we're honoring you. God, it's not first that we're honoring our husband, and that's not the relationship that, um, that this is mainly about, God, but that we would just be reminded that it is all about you. And God, for every woman in this room, God, that um, that's going to come easiest when we keep you at the center of our lives. And so I just pray over every one of these women out here, God. I pray that you would just help them to um, be reminded that when we focus on you and we get closer to you, Jesus, that these things will just be um, easier. God, it will still be hard and it will still be um, difficult to do, but God, we will trust what yeah. you've said. We will trust that that is the way, God. And so I pray for every one of these women, God. I just pray that you would just, um, they would know that you are the one they can turn to. Help us to be more like you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Westside, would you stand?